0: With his wingtip, he was like five meters away from my winglet, so there's suddenly a plane next to you, very, very close,
1: and you're like, okay. Welcome to Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast. Hello, my name is Chuck. I am your host, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and flying with the Cumberland Soaring Group. This is episode 60. This episode is sponsored by the Southern California Soaring Academy, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in the high desert of Los Angeles County. Soaring Academy is dedicated to growing the sport of soaring with young people through its 8th grade STEM outreach programs and giving back to PTSD afflicted veterans during private monthly events. Flight lessons and mountain soaring are available year round to the general public. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. To learn how you can get involved, check them out on Instagram and Facebook at Soaring Academy or online at SoCalSoaringAcademy.org. Today, the podcast makes its way across the Atlantic Ocean to join Max Brunner in Germany. Max had his first flight at the age of four years old, soloed at the age of 13 and received his license at 16. After he received his license, he was flying around the airfield with an occasional cross-country flight and decided he wanted to get more into cross-country flying. Join us now as he shares his story here on Soaring the Sky. Max Brunner, welcome to Soaring the Sky. Glad to have you today. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine. How are you? Great. Where are you flying out of? Uh, I'm flying from Erlinghausen in Germany, and
0: yeah, it's a pretty big airfield for gliding. We have like 14 clubs there, and many, many people flying from there. It's really great. You can basically get in the summer up by winch launch every day in
1: the week, from Monday to Sunday. It's an amazing airfield. Are you doing exclusively winch launch, or do you also do the tow?
0: Yeah, well, I do tow, but it's kind of like not... First of all, it's more expensive, and at least around our airfield, if you don't get up out of the winch launch, you need to have a really long aerotow to stay afloat and start a cost quantity or something. So it it's not necessary, but I have um rating and on other airfields you do much more aeroto and I've done that, but yeah, mostly winch launch.
1: When did your aviation journey begin and how did you get into gliders? um, My parents are
0: both gliding instructors at a club. So I kind of don't know when I was the first time on the airfield because I was so little. But my first flight was around four years old and I forced my father, I forced him kind of into it to take me with him. So I just lay down near his cockpit because he wanted to Solo fly a double seater, the ASK thirteen, and I was like, I didn't understand why he would fly alone if he could take me with him. So I just lay down next to the cockpit and I cried until he took me up.
1: <laughs> Obviously,
0: <Yeah>. it worked. <laughs> it worked, and I was, for me, it was amazing because as you're a four year old, like even an ASK thirteen, it's like this huge thing going up in the air and staying there for hours. And yeah, I then took a couple rides here and there with people out of my club, with my parents. And yeah, I started at 13 years old to fly. And I soloed at 13 years old. And I got my license with 16 years old. And yeah, since then, I got about 400 hours in. What was your first glider that you learned to fly in? There was an ASK-21. We bought it Broken from the UK, I think, and we had amazing guys in our club, worked as mechanics, and they they really polished up that plane, and they made an incredible, incredible coat of the wings, so it was really, really beautiful at that time. It's not that beautiful anymore, but it was really shiny when I started.
1: Did your parents teach you how to fly then?
0: Yeah. Oh, that's very like, cool. Not only my parents, there were other guys, but Also a great deal, my parents, because they're very engaged. They were obviously there when I was there.
1: What is your dream glider, if you could fly anything you wanted to? So my dream glider would be out of, for cross-country purposes, would be like
0: JS3, because I think it looks amazing. I I really like the wing shape. Otherwise, I kind of like the very old World War II the gliding planes who took troops or cargo to the front, I think that would be amazing to be able to fly one, but uh, I don't know if anyone in flying
1: state exists, so... Hard for me to believe they actually were able to yeah. fly, they look so big. I just talked yeah, with they- a friend, and he was like, he was suggesting
0: a plane, a Mi-232, I think, and it has like
1: 50 meters wingspan, it looks incredible. Now, speaking of um, gliders and your dream glider and, and cross country, so how much cross country flying have you done?
0: Well, at first, I was, after my license, I was like, I did here and there, but I mostly did flights around the airfield. And every cross country I did either ended in a field or on an, another airfield. So that took a huge hit in my motivation. But in 2017, I was like, I was. Going to, through this cross-country week in Carmens and there you get a mentor who talks with you through the weather, flies with you in a team, and reflects the flight. And that really motivated me to push further in cross-country, to get back into it and not just fly around the airfield, because that was quite boring after time for me. And then since then, I got quite a few flights in about 150 hours cross-country, and especially the last year was very, very good. We got a good group to fly the OLC League. And yeah, that was pretty fun to see where the others flew, what what they did, what they did better, what they did worse. So yeah, and just talking at the barbecue about what they did, why they did it, how they went, looking what the other clubs around Germany did, how you performed.
1: There was really a good year. Now in your area, when you do cross country, Is it mostly on thermals, or are you getting some ridge lift? What what type of soaring are you doing?
0: Well, it's mostly on thermals, as the main season is just... It can be ridge lift, but it's not that often. So it's mostly on thermals, but sometimes you get lucky and you have ridge lift, which proved good for us last season, because we members of our club did very well doing the ridge lift in the OC Speed League. So that's always great, but which is more of a winter thing around us.
1: Do you have any flam on board? Do you use anything like that for safety?
0: Yeah, all our planes at our club, and I think pretty much all of the other planes I know, I've seen, have flam on board. So
1: Yeah, it's good yeah. to have that extra piece of safety there.
0: Yeah, especially on the ridge, because it's, it's mainly the Wiengebirge by Porta Vesfalica and the Töteburger Wald, Next to us, if you're in the ridge, you, it's kind of really hard to see because typical ridge day, it's very cloudy, and all the planes are kind of on the same height, and if they fly directly at you, they are hard to see. They're really hard to see. So that really helps sometimes to spot a plane and not crash into them.
1: Speaking of that, have you had any near misses or gotten a little too close?
0: Not really. I always spotted them before, and either they... They moved away or I moved away, depending on what I saw, what what people were doing, if I thought they would see me or not. I had a really close miss in a thermal where someone took over on the inner side of the circle. With his wingtip, he was like five meters away from my winglet. So that was pretty scary because as he's coming be- from behind you, you, you couldn't see him. So, so there's suddenly a plane next to you, very, very close. And you're like, okay hope that guy saw me
1: oh yeah <laughs> have you had any scary toes that kind of made you a little nervous and, and if yeah, what did you learn from it
0: yeah i had a very scary winch launch last year it was supposed to be a cross c- cross-country flight and it also got to be one but i had like a discus 2 18 meter in configuration and 100 liters of water and as as you should i told the guy who's was calling up the winch, that I have that, but I think there was a winch winch trainee on the winch that starts, so he kind of messed up, and I was rolling really, really long, and after that I was just very, very slow, and because I didn't took the release, that was quite scary, because I kind of went out of options, because there was a huge part of time where I was in the air, and I was like, okay, our airfield is surrounded by... By the woods, so I was like, okay, if he—it's slow, but it's going up some kind of, so it's somewhere going up, but it's very slow. And if just anything happens, if you make slower, and I need to take the release, I don't think I can turn around this very heavy glider and land it on our airfield because I was just so low, and I was like, yeah, the turn radius is a little bit larger with water, so they were scary, but. He didn't, so it didn't break, nothing happened. I was like, I had about 200 meters and it was directly in a thermos. So I was able to make a cross-country flight
1: of that, but the tow was really scary. So what was your altitude when you weren't too sure about what was going to happen? Well, it basically was about everything up of
0: 50 meters until I had about 180 meters. Because I was like unsure about how I, if I could turn around it and land it. There was like maybe I've done it but well a cable break or not going through with the winch launch with water it was was and is still a scary
1: thought. Could you have dumped the water? I mean I've I've never done winch launch, so I'm not sure how that would work, but any options there, I mean
0: I wouldn't have thought about dumping the water because I fly with on my right hand and I would need to use my right hand to release the water or reach over with my left hand. And I was like, okay, that would be too complex for this situation. Yeah, it's also really happening fast. I mean, it was like 50 seconds till I was up, although it was kind of slow. So wind launch is very, very fast. You have very short time frame and like 100 liters in a discus I, I figured it's around one minute, one minute and a half
1: to release it. So that wasn't really an option. So how did your glider check ride go when you were in your training and you got to that point? For the license, there was I had a really cool, cool guy doing it with me. He flew in with
0: with a motor plane, and he was very chill. He was we understood very good, and yeah, before the first flight, it was a decent day, and I was like, okay, normally we have like two winch launching patterns because there's one. Vinge launching on the left side of the landing field and one on the right. And we were starting on the left because it was a weekday. And so on the right side, there were no Vinge launches. But on the right side, the clouds seemed much better. And I just asked him for the before the first flight. So if you want to stay, us to stay up and I can show you then more of the curve change of the slip etc um i would go right after the winch launch because it's much better there and we can go up we can fly a little bit longer and he was like okay fine it's not the usual pattern but yeah should be fine you can do that and so i my first ride was half an hour with him and he was quite pleased so i did all the things he wanted and then yeah we did another two short flights and he was like okay fine
1: i got you Nice. So it went well, and and you chose a a different path than what the normal pattern was. Yeah. What do you like about the glider that you're currently flying? And is there anything about the glider that maybe you think that the manufacturer could have done better? So
0: as I'm flying club gliders, as I don't have a known. I fly in quite a few. The mainly one being LS4, HPH 304C, and Discus 2, which be the main would be like these three would be the main. I use for County, depending on which is available at the day. And I think they're great planes. Yeah. And the Discus 2, I, I don't really have anything to, to complain about. It's just, yeah, it's overall an amazing plane and it goes as long as you will, kind of. It feels like it's going just until you don't want anymore because it's such high performance. And yeah, LS4, it's just, it's just a standard good fiberglass. Plane. I think it's really yeah. It's also beautiful. And the HPH three or four. It's a little bit more beautiful than the LS four because it's more agile. But it has a very small water at the back, so that could be a little bit better. But that's really a very fine point of bettering that.
1: When you're doing cross country, do you fly with water a lot, or is it? it can go either way. I tried a
0: little bit more last year and sometimes it worked great and sometimes I was too hesitant to dump the water and I kind of ruined the flight because everything was just more difficult because of that and yeah so I'm I'm really just figuring out how to fly with water when to take it when to when to drop it especially when conditions aren't quite clear I mean if the weather is quite good and you know this will be a high-speed task, so you can just fill it with water to the rim and fly until you don't want any man and then dump the water. So, but but especially in tricky situations when you need to figure out was that the right decision, I'm more hesitant to drop it, and that kinda makes things difficult. So,
1: well, it obviously changes your performance when you're in a thermal. How does it change your performance? How do you feel it changes it with the water?
0: Well, first of all, you need to circle a little bit faster. And sometimes I had one flight last year where I wasn't quite getting the the center of the ter- thermal. So that was in the HPH three or four. It wasn't quite as agile. Gets a little bit slower. But I wasn't able to get in the center of the thermal because they were very tight on that day. But I didn't drop it because I was expecting better conditions where I fly to. But the conditions didn't get better. And I was still hoping for that. Maybe it gets better under the next cloud. Maybe it gets better under the next cloud. So I didn't drop it. I only dropped it when I was in a valley 250 meters above the ground. So I had my field set up. I was like, okay, I'm landing out. So guess it's time to drop the water. And in hindsight... The day would have been much better if I dropped it earlier. So I, I was able to get out of that valley and flew quite a distance back in direction of our airfield. So I landed out, but the drive wasn't so
1: long. So Max, can you tell me about that first time you landed out?
0: Oh, well. Yeah. That was, um, I landed on a baseball field, an old baseball field where it was just, um, just grass. Because I, I missed my approach totally. I just, I couldn't get it down and there was like corn on the field. So I was like, you can't go in too fast because that will be really bad. So I took everything in, like the speed brakes, the gear, and I was gliding over this short, over a short strip of woods. And because I knew the area and I knew there was a baseball field and I landed there and I was standing like 15 meters in front of of the street and there was like this huge metal bars in the ground where they fixated like the posts from the baseball game which i nearly missed it was like 30 centimeters from the plane so that was quite lucky and there was quite a stupid thing to do
1: so wouldn't recommend but yeah but you landed and you were good and you learned from it yeah are you doing anything in your club or in any other areas that promote soaring
0: not really, but as i
1: um I just dump all the
0: pictures I take with my smartphone onto my Instagram, so that's all so you're it's,
1: promoting soaring,
0: yeah, a little bit, but not much they're sometimes they're good pictures, sometimes they're they're just like random plane in the air, but i I really like planes, I guess, and I like the aesthetic of planes, so I never get rid of it, and
1: yeah, I always love seeing the different pictures on instagram and. I'm always stopping when I see a cool shot. So I think that definitely grabs people's attention and grabs their attention, especially with a glider if they don't know what it is. Because, you know, they're looking at it and like, I don't see an engine. What's what is that? Yeah. (laughs) Now, I know where you are, soaring is, I guess, much more popular than maybe here in the U.S. We have a lot of clubs, but nowhere near the clubs. I don't believe that you do there. And we have some clubs that really do a great job in promoting soaring. And then some other clubs, they're having a little bit tougher time. But so there's I always like to ask, you know, what we're doing to promote soaring.
0: In my club, there's not much. It's just like we have like there's an action. We have like um, there are people coming from a, from a school. It's called Volkshochschule. It's like everyone can sign up and they get very cheap courses in anything you can like. Fresh up your math skills, get an English course or take a plane ride with us. So then you get a short introduction and you get a weekend to fly from the front seat. So that's one thing our club does. And it's it's effective. There are one or two people who sign up. And yeah, about one people, one guy, one woman stays per year from that. So And you get the word out to lots of people. It's about 20 people most of the time who do that.
1: Yeah, I think glider rides are a great way to introduce the sport to people because you know, if they can experience a flight, they're usually hooked.
0: Yeah. Well it's amazing. Because we do winch launch, that's most often the first thing where people are people I flew with, I took on a ride, they were like, Whoa, that was that was amazing because it's like you're doing that roller coaster start where you get pulled up but very, very fast. So that's that's quite the adrenaline rush, so it also helps to sell it.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I haven't actually experienced a winch launch yet that is on my bucket list. I plan to do that when everything gets up and running because I hear it is uh, quite exciting and happens very fast. Yeah, it's really quite exciting. It's, it's always fun. What is the coolest or maybe the strangest thing that you've ever seen from the cockpit in all your flying?
0: Mm, well, the coolest thing was uh, some kind of sea, like there was this little pond, but it was like, it was really black because of the sand being all black, but it had very red, very red lines in it. I don't know, maybe it was something about iron being present and the very dark earth, but that looked kind of surreal, so that was amazing, and yes, yeah, Gary things. I saw a tractor burn up on a field last year, so... There was like more scary. it wasn't that scary, but um yeah you're you're hoping that he's all right, and <laughs> that everything will work out for him because his tractor's just burning down in half his field, but
1: yeah, oh my wow, Have you flown with any large, large hawks? You know,
0: you get them here and there, they're quite present in our area, so I think every fourth or fifth flight you you see one. So that's quite amazing, and I once—I don't—I think it was a flight school. I can't explain it otherwise, but it was like 20, 25 animals just in this flock together, and they surpassed me while I was thermaling. And I kind of tried to get close, took some pictures. Didn't work out with the pictures, but it was still super amazing to have all this, all these birds right next to you, all just flying calmly, don't minding you. that was amazing.
1: Were they in the thermal?
0: Well, no, they ignored the thermal. I needed to leave that and fly after
1: them. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> they know where the lift is, for sure. Yeah. So in in all your years of soaring, I always like to ask, what have you picked up along the way as far as what advice would you give someone how to be a better and safer pilot?
0: Yeah, just yeah, acknowledge your failures. Look at them and say, okay, I messed up. And don't... Don't try to sugarcoat it. Just say, "Okay, I messed up this and this." Really look into it why you why you did what you did. So what was what went wrong, and then do it better. Just just don't do it anymore because it happens. You can have scary situations, especially when you're putting off uh, decisions, and then you kind of run out of the possibility to make a decision, and you just need to get through it and hope that it works out fine and afterwards you're like oh man i was so stupid why did i do with it but yeah you need to take that take that into the next flight and identify those situations where you do something and postpone a decision yeah that would be
1: and you know not being afraid to let people know i did mess up but this is what i learned from it because they could learn from it as well so they don't make a mistake like that yeah max i appreciate you joining us today on the podcast it's been great talking to you yeah, thank you for having me. You are very welcome. And thank you for joining us for another episode here on Soaring the Sky. If you want to get a hold of us on social media, you can do that. Michelle's going to have all that information for you. Hopefully we will all get some soaring in here very soon. So stay healthy, stay safe, and we will talk to you next week right here on Soaring the Sky. If you would like to say hi, just drop Chuck a line at chuck at com. Or you can send us a note on the website, soaringthesky.com. Also, if you're a pilot, we want to hear your story. Just send us an email and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next week for another great guest and adventure on Soaring the Sky. Music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Voiceover work was provided by Michelle Perez. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton.